Making Her Way introduces you to the brilliant, ambitious women behind some of your favorite products and asks them to share their motivations and the practical strategies they've used to achieve their goals. In each episode, we discuss the exact process of bringing a new product to market and to success. Join me as we discuss design, manufacturing, sustainability, and modern marketing. My name is Sarah Lidwell Darnan, and my goal is to bridge the gap between up and coming product creators and the women who are out there already changing the world. Hello and welcome to Making Her Way. Today, I'm meeting Kayla O'Connell, co-founder of Nikki, which makes everyday organic undies that are good for you and good for the environment. She's going to tell us about starting a business in a highly competitive market without sacrificing her values around ethical and sustainable manufacturing and what it's like to sell out of all your stock in one day. Okay. So can you please introduce yourself and tell us what it is that you make? Sure. Um, my name is Kayla O'Connell Davis. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Nikki, and we make organic cotton undies for every day. Wow, that's fantastic. And how did you get started? So I think I sort of came at it from um, a non-traditional viewpoint, um, certainly in the apparel sector. I had... Um, been working in fashion and apparel for several years on all facets of the industry, um, merchandising, retail, production, um, even some styling. And I loved, loved fashion so much, but I actually um, had a little bit of a personal crisis with my, you know, affection toward it um, and also sort of grappling with the fact that it was incredibly detrimental to the environment and also highly exploitative to a lot of the people who are employed by um, the fashion industry globally. And so I had a little bit of um, a crisis, a personal crisis in which I needed to reconcile my own love of this industry and just being able to express yourself through clothing with sort of my, you know, ethics and um, consumption practices as an individual. Um, and so when I was doing my master's degree, I really focused on that question, how can I be a conscious consumer? How can I participate in this system um, productively? And that really led me down a path of you know, researching um, more sustainable production methods. Um, I approached uh, thinking about you know the supply chain in a more holistic and circular way um, and applied the cradle to cradle ideology, um, which uh, basically thinks about sort of the um, recycling or upcycling of um, nutrients in the composition of a, of an, a garment or an object um, rather than sort of the traditional linear um, you know cradle to grave uh, uh, um, life cycle of a garment. And so I really wanted to apply those, you know, that thinking um, toward um, design. And it was a really tough thing to do. I like, I remember job interviews, like no one knew what I was talking about. And, um, you know, sustainability was really sort of um, situated in the context of CSR and 
um, a little bit more of the PR slant. Um, there was a lot of greenwashing going on. And so, yeah, I set out to sort of find um, a company that aligned with my values. I did find one. Um, I was hired to launch the apparel division. We were acquired after about four months, three and a half months of me working there um, and uh, basically um, became more of a home textiles focused brand. And so I learned all about interiors and home home um, goods, which was amazing. Um, but I really wanted to get back to apparel. And so after a few years um, there, really cutting my teeth in um, sustainable product design and organic um, cotton specifically, um, I took the leap into entrepreneurship and went back to my first love, which is apparel. So wow. long story short, that's how I came to starting Nikki. Yeah. Gosh. Now, you're, you're probably going to laugh at me, but I always call them knickers. So I'm going to be talking about knickers a lot. And please don't laugh every time I say it. Um, but you would call them pants, right? So we call them undies. Um, and we're very specific about that. That just has to do with sort of the colloquial um, playfulness of, um, you know, Nikki's branding and brand voice and personality. But the name was certainly inspired by knickers and that sort of traditional, um, you know, uh, English, I suppose, is often tied to, um, or, you know, uh, vernacular and, and um, nomenclature around the garment. And so that really inspired um, the name. And, and Nikki is just sort of like a fun, cute um, play on that, certainly. Yes, it's really, really cool name. So when you decided to start making undies, what was the very first thing that you went out and did? Uh, first, I found a supplier. That was sort of my um, bread and butter. It's where I had been working was in product development and um, really from, you know, trend analysis and, and concepting and working close with designers um, and production teams. And so that was the first thing that I did because it's what I knew. And, you know, to any person starting out, I think you don't really know where to start when you're starting a business um, because there's everything to do, right? The to-do list never ends. Um, and so I would say, you know, just do what you know first. And if that's like um, diving head in with branding, which was actually the next thing we did because that was my other expertise was, um, you know, working in branding and uh, launching a brand. Um, that is really helpful because it gives you the roadmap at least for first steps. So how did you find your supplier? So I had um, developed a little bit of a network um, from my previous role. Um, and just, I would say that specifically, if you know what kind of product you're you're going to make, um, what sort of materials you really are looking for, that helps to narrow down where you should be looking, what part of the world you should be looking, and what kind of suppliers you should be looking for. For us, because I was setting out to make the most sustainable um, product that I could, um, I really, it, you know, my options for uh, credible partners was really narrowed. And so um, there are great resources for people, whether you're looking for, you know, clasps or a specific lace, or if you're, you know, looking for some sort of um, foam that can be molded, it, you know, there are specific factories that really um, have competencies that focus on 
those those types of offerings. And so um, when we were looking for sustainable and certified to the global organic textile standard, um, that really narrowed it down and made some very clear candidates from the outset. Um, and I leaned on you know trade organizations and uh, third party auditors to really help to verify all of those um, claims and standards that we were looking for fair trade as well. That's amazing. And when I was looking at your website, you have your supply chain really clearly laid out on your website. And that's, I mean, I've literally never seen that before, that every step along the way is, is tracked. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's just really important in terms of making claims um, around, you know, anything that is eco-minded, um, anything that has sort of support. Um, I think you really need to be transparent about, you know, how did you, how do you verify that? Where is that coming from? Um, how do we know you're not just saying it, right? And a, a huge concern right now in, in um, many industries, but particularly apparel of late is, is this notion of greenwashing and sort of misleading the consumer, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But we really want to make sure that we're doing our research and we're showing you that we're doing our research. My co-founder and I met in graduate school and um, we both dabbled in academia after graduating. And also, obviously, we're very focused on, um, you know, the research and and uh, all of the the trappings that go with, um, you know, writing a, a verified thesis in an argument um, and publication, and and um, and so we have uh, a, a citations page on our website. Actually, we're very into making sure that we are, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's with respect to pretty much everything with respect to the business, but certainly how we communicate it on our website and educate our audience. That's absolutely wonderful and so rare. And like the way you explain terms as well, like when I was reading that page about the supply chain and you mentioned Ocotex, Oikotex. Yes. And I was like, it's what does that mean? To say. <laughs> um, so I recently learned that it's pronounced Oikotex. Okay. Um, which, you know, is, is uh, it's a mouthful. Um, but essentially that applies to processes and materials that are utilized in your supply chain and in the making of um, an object. And usually it's applied to textiles. Um, and that is really the highest level of safety um, that you can have with respect to dye stuffs um, or any of your fabrication or yarns or the actual um you know, throughputs that go into uh, making making a garment. And um, it's it's uh, the highest level of safety that's close to the skin and body. Um, and it's based on what infants can be exposed to. Um, and it prohibits every substance that's on the restricted substance list, um, as well as additional ones. So we, um, you know, utilize that across every facet of the supply chain. It's really important to us. And it's incorporated in the GOT standard, which is the Global Organic textile standard, which certifies the organic component of the cotton um, and also all, all of the cogs in the wheel as well um, need to be certified to that. So Wow. Yeah. And even straight through to your packaging before I hit record, we were talking about packaging and my obsession yes. with it. So I see here that that's what naturally you go all the way through with your packaging and taking it incredibly seriously where everything comes from. Absolutely. You know, we really want to, um, again, make the most sustainable 
uh, product and offering that we can. And that applies to every component of the business, frankly. Um, and packaging is no exception. Um, with the packaging, we prioritize partners that are really um, you know, investing in uh, careful harvesting. Um, we use post-consumer um, waste wherever we can. Um, our belly bands, our collateral, it's all uh, made from a recycled component. It's actually recycled silk, incidentally. Um, wow. Everything is made custom to the size of our um, goods. So there's no extra space in the box. You're not going to get a giant box with a tiny pair of undies in it. Um, and so everything is really fit um, on purpose to avoid waste. Um, and then obviously you can use it again, you can recycle it. And we tried to make it a beautiful box so that you might just use it um, in, in another you know, point in time. Yes. Not too long ago, I ordered a saw from a very well-known online retailer and was able to get into the box and close it completely comfortably over me. And like, <laughs> it was a saw, like for sawing a tree. <laughs> Both of them are very interesting components of the story. <laughs> so a, a small, tight box is so... It's so important. And when you order online, you do see these mammoth boxes so often coming in the post. So I, I particularly appreciate that detail. So how long, so getting all of this right took time. Yes. There's a lot of thought has gone into every step of the way. So while all that was happening, you mentioned the branding. So you crafted your branding yourself, did you? We actually um, brought on two art directors to work with us for the initial branding and we worked very closely together and um, very happy with with that process and, and what came out of it. Um, I think, you know, we had an idea of what we wanted it to be. Um, we gave a lot of direction, you know, this is sort of the vibe that we want to go for. This is the personality. This is, you know, the essence. These are the attributes. Um, Lauren and I spent a good, probably two months just brainstorming and ideating around, you know, if Nikki were a person, what would, um, they be like, what would they buy? What would they consume? What books would they read? Where did they go? Did they travel? What, you know, um, things they would say, what kind of words they use. I mean, literally building out not only the customer, but also Nikki themselves. And so it was a very in-depth process. And I think that going through those um, exercises, just the two of us together really helped us to guide the art directors and realize something that was just better than I could ever have imagined, frankly. Um, and so we were, yeah, we loved that process. And, you know, it evolves, um, particularly as, um, you know, the climate um, of consumerism evolves, um, you know, so does, so does Nikki, the brand, and uh, there needs to be room for that. And so, We've been, yeah, it's been an interesting journey now that it was realized and is now in market um, and interacting with people. So, yeah. So how long did it take you to get from when you sat down with your co-founder and said, let's do this, to selling your first pair of knickers? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I actually pitched Lauren this idea in July of 2017. And she came on, she started working remotely from Berlin in, I want to say, December 
um, October, like somewhat in the fall. And it was more just like throwing ideas around, you know, she wasn't working too full time until January, um, when she moved back and yeah, we, um, we started really deep diving on the branding when she got back in January. And then, um, I think we launched on November 20th, 2018. Wow. That was really tight then. It was quick. You know, it's funny. Yeah. People say, oh my gosh, you've been, you worked on this for a year before you launched, but actually that's a really short amount of time, particularly if you're bringing um, a garment to market, you know, people who have worked in production are probably more familiar with the 18 month timeline of, you know, concept to um, shipment X factory. And uh, we, we did it in, in less than a year. So yeah, it was quick. We wanted to get to market as quickly as we could because, you know, um, it's a little bit of a land grab sometimes with apparel and, and we wanted to make sure that we were on, um, you know, we were in the right timing for, for offering that to people. So how did you get your first thousand sales? Uh, Vogue. <laughs> That's the short answer. <laughs> we, we actually got um, some really incredible press out of the gate. And um, it's interesting because I feel like press can sometimes be really hit or miss for brands. Um, sometimes it can be you know, the thing that makes you and sometimes it doesn't really move the needle. Um, we were very fortunate to um, have our launch story covered by Vogue. Um, and it was on the front, you know, page of their website. And um, yeah, it was a great, great first um, several, <laughs> lots of sales. <laughs> and um, we had a yeah, it was I think we were 10 days in. It was a very early, it was early on after we had launched and we had bought what we believed to be about six months of inventory. Um, and we sold through it very quickly. Um, you know, I always say it was about six weeks that we actually sold through it, but I think it would have been quicker than that, frankly. Um, wow. yeah, which was, um, great. We loved that, but it was also a challenge because, timelines are long to replenish all of that stock that got sold quickly. And then, you know, other press, be, you know, came press begets press and the sales be, uh, began to continue. And we had a lot of people who were looking for, you know, these organic cotton undies that they'd heard so much about and we couldn't sell them to them for a few months. So, Oh no. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, we actually started a wait list, which was great. We started some pre-sailing. Um, so we, we definitely navigated that creatively, but it's something that we are still, um, you know, playing catch up from um, even a year later. It's just when you're growing at the same time, it's um, it's something to keep up with for sure. And when all those sales came in, because you presumably weren't expecting that week to look like that, had you intended to be shipping everything yourselves or did you have a warehouse set up to do all that for you? Yes. Yeah, so we actually managed all of our own fulfillment and we're fortunate in that the product is very small. It's not even, you know, four, four inches by five inches. Um, and it's very skinny. Um, and when it's folded flat, so we can store several thousand pairs of undies in, you know, a spare bedroom, um, and be shipping quite a bit. Um, we have since pivoted that, um, just because the manpower 
Um, you know, it takes a lot more than just a few people um, pulling together. But yeah, it's uh, it it was a fun time. I actually really enjoy that because it just you're right on the pulse of what's happening with with your product. I think it's really important to see what the customer is going to experience and have control over that at least for the first few months. Um, and you're you have that first line of communication with them. It just when you're working in a direct to consumer capacity on you know e-commerce, you are there's a little bit of an anonymity in that, and um, it's nice to be able to really have that connection of like I packed that box, I wrote you a personalized note, and you know Rachel in San Francisco is going to open it and see that, and now we have a connection. And I think that that really is something that's a little bit lost these days in e-commerce and and we try to bring that back. Amazing. So that that sort of catapulted you. So I guess you didn't have that usual sort of clock watching thing that a lot of people have when they launch a new website where you're like, you're watching your Google Analytics to see if anybody comes on the site and you're like, oh, it's, it's my mom. Oh. <laughs> you didn't yeah. have to sit through that, I guess. You got that kind of, fast forward. So you, do you feel that this is really happening then? Yeah. I mean, we, I think it's been, it's been actually incredible. And, um, I don't know what I was expecting to be honest. Like Lauren and I joke quite a bit that we did so much work around launching and then we launch and we're like, okay, now we have to run a business. And, um, there's so much to do and so many, you know, challenges and obstacles and, um, and you know, projects and dreams and things that you want to accomplish. And so I don't think I've ever stopped to pause and been like, where, you know, where are the sales coming from? But I think that it's, um, but we work really hard, uh, to make sure that we're in front of people and have invested in, um, the time of cultivating a really close knit, um, group of loyal customers and audience and, you know, social media goes into that, um, and uh yeah I, I think thankfully i haven't had that moment yet knock on wood um but it's it's been it's been really exciting and do you work with any retailers at the moment or are you all on your own website so similar to you know what i was just explaining about sort of keeping close to the customer we're really trying to prioritize like owning that relationship and being um uh, just the first line of experience. Um, you know, if somebody had a problem and they were shipped via retailer, we would want to know about that. And so we haven't um, really invested in a retail strategy, though we have a lot of retailers who have approached us. And so we we're doing some testing there. Um, but again, I think that it's um, it's a new landscape. It's a changing landscape retail. Um, and in so much that we can focus our energy on really investing in the direct-to-consumer experience and being the first point of contact to our customer, we would like to. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a new era for retail, I think. And certainly in the time of COVID, I'm not really sure what it looks like, you know, in six months. And, um, a lot of retailers are now pivoting their businesses to online. So we shall see what happens. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're open to, um, you know, diversifying our channels and distribution, certainly. So I wonder how many, I, I read a couple of days ago that Zara is closing like a thousand branches. 
Mm. And I'm wondering how a lot of these businesses assumed that everything would go very badly wrong when COVID happened. And maybe there are some retailers who've been like, "Mm, actually, it's a lot cheaper to run our business without all those floors. And we're still selling because people are still going to buy the Zara dress they've seen on social media. They're still going, people still need knickers. (laughs) So that's the one thing we're still using every day. (laughs) Fortunately, thankfully. I had bras, maybe not so much. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't make those yet either. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, and, and companies like that have the um, benefit of be- being sort of in a, a household name already. And so they're not, <clears throat> excuse me, competing for that airwave space on the internet so much. They have people who will come to them and, and find those products. So um, there are, yeah, different challenges, but certainly saving overhead, I, I would assume, um, is very attractive for a large retailer. Yeah. I think also for a small business like yours, when somebody's on your website, you have complete control of the conversation. And if someone is browsing for underwear in, you know, a massive lingerie department, you could disappear because you're a small brand. There's a lot to be said for, I don't know, having someone's full attention on your website and staying in charge of that. 100%. So, you meant we mentioned bras a second ago. Mm-hmm. Are there more products in your future, or are you going to be what? What are you going to do with the range next? Yes, definitely. So bras are in our future. I should step that comment back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we will be offering them, and very soon. Um, unfortunately, speaking of COVID, you know some of our timelines are a little um, opaque, just because the closures affected different components of upstream and downstream of our supply chain. So we are trying very hard to get that train back on track. Um, and so we will be releasing bras, hopefully before the end of the year, uh, we were really aiming for fall. Um, and then also we have some new styles of knickers in, in the pipeline as well. And, um, uh, some fun merchandise that goes alongside, um, you know, the lingerie, um, <clears throat> a sector and, um, potentially some, some other athleisure, roby, cozy PJ moments down the road as well. So, Amazing. Yeah. Always new colors as well. Yes. Um, yes. Everybody, everybody loves the new colors when we come out with them. So very excited to to release some more in the coming months. Fantastic. So what's the biggest thing you've learned about marketing in your particular niche over the last year? That is such a great question. Um, I will, I will actually say that I learned the most at my previous role and that has just evolved from there. And so coming into launching a brand in sustainability and particularly within apparel, um, I think one of the biggest challenges was this disconnect on the consumer side and the consumer experience where everyone really wants to buy something that's better for the environment. Um, you know, if you pull a customer and they say, you know, you give them the option, they will always tell you that they are going to buy the eco-friendly version because that's what they want to get. Um, it's better for the environment. Um, it's better for the people who manufacture it. Um, it's better for them likely. 
Um, but the problem is that a lot of times it's not cost competitive. It's not convenient. Um, it may be a lesser brand experience that isn't attractive to them. Um, and it might not be, um, you know, just their first choice, even if they said that they really want to buy it. So what, what I learned is really that you need to make something that is competitive on a cost basis. So just as affordable as the alternative might be, um, convenient. So, you know, really making a direct to consumer experience that is easy. Um, and cute. You want something that the customer is really going to want to participate in and to invest in and feel good about being a part of that and maybe a little aspirational. Um, and so that is really uh, what the, those three points we came into um, with Nikki. And I also think that uh, as a motivational um, factor and a, and a point at the point of purchase, making it about them and not just about the environment is also, um, was also very important to us because organic cotton has so many environmental benefits compared to its conventional counterpart that I call chemical cotton. Um, but at the same time, it's also so much better for the person who's wearing it, right? It doesn't have a bunch of carcinogens or pesticides. Um, it doesn't have all the harsh chemicals that go into the manufacturing. And so it's just a cleaner, safer product, particularly when you're talking about undergarments. You start to, you know, I mean, previously a lot of people did not, but our customers have started to thought, think about oh, wow, this is really close to very important organs in my body. Um, you know, I'm intimately tied to this. I wear it every day. Um, and in this era of wellness and waking up to wellness, I think um, we've really led with that as a benefit and, um, you know, a value proposition. And that has been an incredible introduction for people to learn about, you know, the choices we're making for our bodies and how actually apparel can go beyond just affecting themselves, but the broader um, environment as well. So that is what I have learned. It has been a long journey, but I think, um, you know, and it's evolving. And even since we launched Nikki, um, I think the market has really uh, accepted and, and warmed to um, seeking out products that are better for the environment first before even affecting their own personal experience. And having that is a total game changer because marketing eco-friendly products to um, a group of consumers that doesn't understand the implications there is definitely challenging. And so um, I think... The market catching up to where we are has been incredible. And I yes. think that we've contributed to that. So, yes. Yeah, I completely understand. So, is there anything that you would be doing that you would do differently if you were to start again from scratch? That first time you emailed your co founder and said, let's do this. If you could rewind to them, what would you do differently, if anything? You know, that's a great question. And I don't. I'm, I, I will admit I'm not really in the practice of sort of regret. You know, I think that every um, every decision that we make or path that we go down, like we own, and for better or for worse, sometimes those are mistakes. And I think that those illuminate new challenges. Um, you have to be grateful for the learning experience, if nothing else. Um, I would say I think that maybe we could have launched with bras because. Um, we were quite set on, you know, offering a core product and not trying to boil the ocean, which a lot of companies 
over diversified too quickly. And I think that that can be, um, you know, a a cause of failure actually for a lot of companies. And so um, we were really focused on just undies at the outset and bras are a complicated um, product to make. And, um, but we actually, surprisingly, a lot of people are very interested in sets, which we just didn't, the market research was not really supportive of that. Um, I think that our, our customers are just really interested in bras from us. So yeah, I think that I would have loved to have launched those earlier. Um, that would be my only change, I think, at the outset. But yeah, I think I think just owning owning your mistakes and knowing that, you know, that was a decision we made and we got to live with it and pivot or grow from it. And um, that's sort of our philosophy. Amazing. I think I can see how bras wouldn't be on your radar initially but also I think as the trend for smoother like the trends in knickers seem to have changed a bit at least if my Instagram is anything to go by to a more smooth comfortable look but a lot of the bras that you see are still quite not frothy but, but you know what I mean they're still underwire they're still lace and silken bits and so they just completely don't match your knickers anymore so I yeah I'm I'm definitely in the market for some smoother cotton bralette style things great that go with all my new knickers so, well I'll yeah. send you some prototypes thank you very much of course <laughs> um so what would be your advice this is my final question this is the big one what would be your advice to somebody who wants to start a business in your industry of making sustainable underwear? I think, oh my gosh, so many things. I think, um, I think for anyone in apparel, I would say that you really want to make sure you're bringing something that people are either looking for or they don't know that they need. Um, Apparel is just an incredibly saturated um, landscape. Um, Intimates is no exception. Um, And then particularly within the context of making a sustainable um, garment, um, really, really do the research. There is nothing worse than seeing, you know, someone make a claim that is um, either unfounded or misguided um, intentionally or unintentionally. And it really, I think just comes down to a lack of knowledge and it's a really vast landscape. You can make something sustainable, um, from any really in, in any context. And so, um, do the research, do the work, take a class, read a book, do, do as much as you can, um, to just understand, and the, the learning curve is steep, so there's a lot to take in. Um, but if you have focus, um, it's very doable. And there are a lot of great resources out there, people, scholars, um, trade organizations, and um, yeah, just do the research. Thank you very much. That has been a hugely illuminating chat, and I am so grateful for you to you for telling us all that. Thank you. Thank you for having me and taking the time to talk with me about Nikki and its beginnings. In the next episode of Making Her Way, I'm meeting Stephanie Schull, founder of Kegelbell, a unique training kit for your pelvic floor. Her journey has taken her from academia to combing European sex toy shows in her search for the best possible design. And her goal is to make pelvic weakness a thing of the past. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.